Okay. Genesis 15. through a lot of it. We didn't study two very important parts of it. We studied the horror of great darkness last Wednesday. Something that's unavoidable. Now in verse uh, 12. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. Now notice his name is still Abram. He still has the Babylonian name. Even though he's been through all the tests thus far, and he's, he's been fed by Melchizedek, he still has the Babylonian name. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land. Now who is your seed? The seed of Abraham is Christ. Your seed is Christ. Your identity is Christ. Now, Abram at this point still didn't understand that his total identity was Christ. But through this process, he's seeing it clearly and clearly. Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. Remember when Christ was crucified? He was crucified in the Feast of Jubilee. The Feast of Jubilee occurred once every 50 years. And the purpose of the Feast of Jubilee was that the land that was given to each of the 12 tribes, to those particular families, was returned to the natural, to that original family, to the original landowner, the original, the rightful heir. Even though others had gotten it by usury, had gotten it by deception, had gotten it because the guy was broke and he sold his land. No matter what reason that his land had been taken away, once every 50 years the land returned. Okay, the same is true in you. And that the 50 years signifies one generation or one complete life, if you will. Therefore, once every 50 years the land returns to its rightful owner. Now you, Brian, Jan, Joanna, You've been a usurper of the land. And apparently, you didn't know this, you thought you got it legally because of your genetic, you know, you, know, you were born, and you've got this, and this is me. But once every 50 years, the land returned to its rightful owner. Now that land, this earth, and, and by the way, as you well know, your body is made up of the exact chemical proportion that the surface of the earth is. It's 70% water. It's, it, it, all of the chemical proportions of the earth are the same chemical proportions of your body. You are the land of Israel, Annex. But you have been a usurper on the land. Now, the land is going to be returned to its rightful owner. Now, in this point, at this time, that's why you're here, so that you would see that the land, your land, is returned to its rightful owner, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. Now, the word 400 years here, the, re the reason 400 or 40, and I won't go into that, that's too complicated right now. We'll get into that later. And also that a nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards you'll come out with great substance. Now the nation, again, you have been, well, let me go on. In the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. The word generation The Hebrew word door. And the Amorites were the unlawful inhabitants of the promised land. They were there illegally by the ancient... Okay, in, in the law, 
when when and we just saw that Abraham defeated the Babylonian kings and the five and the other so he in fact defeated the nine kings the four that uh, just believe me he defeated the all of the kings all of the landowners on Canaan and because he defeated them then by law then he became the rightful owner forever until somebody defeated him or his generation now he's going to leave the seed and God only sees the seed and, and, and it got you think that God sees you as an individual God only sees either Adam or Christ there's only two men in the Bible the first Adam the last Adam now when God and again if you want to think about it where would you have been if your grandfather had died at birth taken on back God only looks at that God looks through that genetic seed and he looks at each one of you and he looks at the earth and he sees Adam or Christ now the inic the reason they're going to be they're going to be the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full the Amorites were the unlawful inhabitants of the land and their iniquity wasn't full they couldn't the seed couldn't in rightfully inherit the land until the iniquity was full and they accepted the cross their death therefore the promise goes to its rightful heir your iniquity the reason the world doesn't understand this is because their iniquity isn't yet full why not because they it hasn't they they've, they've played safe they don't yet know that they're the chief of sinners When you know that you're the chief of sinners, when we study the law, you'll see there are 46 things, there are 46 reasons why you deserve the death penalty today. Not only deserve it, but you have gotten it. And then you, when you see your iniquity is full, then you will see you on the cross. And then the land then in the year of Jubilee is returned to its rightful owner. Your, this body, this body of sin and death becomes, again, that you, your mind becomes concerned with receptivity, i.e. the seed, rather than activity. Jesus doesn't need your help. He's fully capable of moving this vessel through time and space. But he can't do that until the iniquity of the Amorite, you, is full. You see your cross, you jump to the cross, and his life is revealed. Peace? So, okay. okay. I, uh, you, so who's... What if somebody... Some, you, you said that to somebody, and they said, okay, I understand that. And then what if they do understand? Right. They, they look at themselves and, and say, well... My iniquity is not yet full, so I got a, I got a while left. Well, then, they're, then, they're, they haven't, then they haven't understood it. And they haven't understood it. That's right. Now we're going to see those that didn't understand it next. How did I get over it? How did you there? Okay. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Now, the iniquity of the Amorites, if you do the scripture study, and uh, I can, it's the same as the works of the flesh that we studied in Galatians the other night. Homosexuality, incest, inordinate affection, adultery, idolatry, profanity, bestiality, witchcraft, whoredom, dishonor, parents, murder, stealing, lying. These were all the iniquities of the Amorites that are listed in the law. They knew about all that Huh? The Amorites? Of course not. They didn't know about them. God didn't give a flip about the Amorites. He just wants them dead. But they can't be dead until their, until their iniquity is fully revealed. It took 430 years for that to be fully revealed. Okay. John verse 17. And it came to pass that when the sun went down, it was dark. And behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. Remember? He had taken the carcasses of all those sacrifices. The heifer, the ram, the goat, the turtle dove, the pigeon. 
And he'd taken all of them, cut them in half, and laid one on each side of this imaginary line, this narrow way. And then the burning furnace and the lighted lamp passed through the midst. The burning furnace always signifies Gehenna, and the lamp always signifies the Torah, or Christ in you. But it's only that very narrow way that it's revealed in. Now, let's look at Matthew 25, and we're going to see an interesting parallel. The burning lamp is always the signif the burning lamp is always symbolic of the divine presence. Matthew 25. Well, first of all, go to Amos. I want to show you something about Amos. About I mean about Amorites. Go to go to Amos 2. Amos 2. Everything that you'll see in the law has to do with Israel accepting either the idolatry or the customs of these unlawful inhabitants of the land. And every time they did, then they were committing adultery or they were fornicating. Because they went to them for their sustenance. And that's what God sees as fornication or adultery. Because the real fornication is spiritual. Okay, now, here we have Israel is now in the land in Amos. Verse 6, Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they sold the righteousness for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes that pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor and turn aside the way of the meek. And a man and his father will go into the same maid, unto the same maid, to profane my holy name. And they lay themselves down upon clothes laid to pledge by every altar, and they drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. Yet destroyed I the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of cedars, and he was strong as the oaks, and yet I destroyed his fruit from above and his roots from beneath. When you look at the Amorite, i.e. these gods that have been your idols and these compulsions and everything that's in your mind, you will see them as giants. They're impossible to overcome. But God says he will destroy their fruit from above and their roots from beneath. That's the promise. That's why, when, that's why Israel got in big trouble when they sent the spies into the land. They sent one from each tribe, and the ten of them said, we can't do it. We can't go in. We can't take this land. Look what did God do to them? Every one of the spies that said they couldn't do it was totally destroyed, and their families were totally destroyed. But to Joshua and Caleb, they said, we can, that God will be our reward. God will go before us and destroy them. Then they were destroyed. And when you look at yourself and you see the giants in the land, the Amorites, you think it's impossible. But just remember, God is your shield. God is your buckler. Your warfare is completed. In your rest, he will go before you and destroy it all. The fruit and the root. So the iniquity, I mean, it's all simply a matter of seeing that God, it's just what faith is. Okay? <clears throat> now let's go to Matthew 25. One through thirteen. This is neat stuff if you understand it. Okay, Harry, read 1 through 25. 25? Matthew 25, I mean 1 through 13. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, 
which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now why, first of all, stop. God sees, once you say, Father, I'm yours, you enter into a body. That body has to be at least 10, but not more than 20, because that's the way in which the whole process is tested. I want you to hear this. When you say, Father, I'm yours, you're a virgin. In the fullest sense of the word, you've returned to the innocency of a small child. You are a virgin. And that's what these ten virgins are. They're ten people in a body. Okay? So this is a body that we're talking about. <clears throat> And we're going forth to meet the bridegroom. That's all we're doing. Only, our only purpose in life is to go forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Okay. Remember now this covenant. Everything, nothing in the New Testament can be understood without understanding the old. When you've gone to, if any of you have gone to church, you've heard all these crazy interpretations of this parable. Most of the time they think it means about the Holy Spirit or something. It's not what it means parable is the remembrance of the covenant made with Abraham and the burning lamp is the is the is the is the continuance that the light of the covenant is always before you the marriage in the east it was always accustomed to light a torch when making a covenant in celebration of a marriage to symbolize the fire of destruction if the agreement was ever broken. The fire is the witness of the covenant, and if, it, and if it was broken, it will be their destruction. And what happened is these ten virgins, again, ten people in a body, God doesn't care about the number ten in terms of, well, this is all of us are going to be saved. He can, he can, he's concerned only with the fact that the covenant, which is the burning lamp, is always before your eyes. What is the oil of that covenant? What is the oil? Of, the oil is simply the exhorting one another daily. When these virgins slept, their they slept. They fallen asleep in life, and they chased other. They, they've been chasing, chasing the vain shadows. Then, then, in in, in the Torah and the Talmud. Sleep is never what we think of as sleep. What sleep is, is when you fall asleep in life and chase after the vain shadows and forgotten who you are. The virgins, the five that went to sleep, forgot who they were. Therefore, they're the lamp, the symbolism of the covenant, which is, when lit, always the remembrance of the covenant. When they went, when they went to sleep, they forgot the covenant. They fall, they fell asleep in life and chased after vain shadows. When the bridegroom arrived, they were, they were history. They were gone because it's only that moment. That's why, knowing the terror of God, we persuade men, because that thing which was a witness to them for life became the instrument of their destruction. That's the meaning of this parable. But it can't be understood unless you go back to the meaning of the original covenant with Abraham. 
Everybody understand that? No. Uh, is, this, is this a poor translation that we're reading? Because it, it says they all slumbered and slept. Yeah, but they slumbered and slept. The ones continued in the oil. All of us are going to fall asleep. All of us will be chasing vain shadows. So the, okay, so then what it appears is correct. That the point of this is the oil. And the point of the oil is continuance, abiding. Because in the abiding, you're always, you always, the oil is always there. They always kept, they always knew who they were. They always remembered the covenant. Okay? Let's go back to Genesis. start Sivan 4, which is the next section of the, the three-year cycle. Uh, Genesis 16. <clears throat> let's do, just let's start out just doing 1 through 6. Abram's wife bare him no children, and she and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name is Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord has restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, going unto my maid, that it it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, made the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. He went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she conceived, her mistress was, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarah said to Abram, I wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid unto thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. And the Lord judged between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, I made is in thy hand, do to her as it pleaseth thee. When Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her friends. Okay. Abram is now 86 years old. But we can't think of 86 as we do now, because this was shortly after the flood, and the remnants of the genetic structure of man, i.e., before the flood, there was no ultraviolet light, therefore he lived all these hundreds of years. It took a period of time before we now get, we get down to the age, which is one of the three score and ten, or whatever it is. Now, so 86 is not necessarily that old in, in, at this time. The question now is, who is Hagar? When Abraham went to, we've just studied, Abraham going on to his, his, I can't remember which mistake it is, but one of his mistakes when he fled the promise because there was a famine in the land. Remember, he went down to Egypt to get sustenance just like you do. Every time there's a famine in your land spiritually, you run down to Egypt. You go lean on Pharaoh. You go lean on the world to try to get some sustenance. And God uses that. That's why, it's, that's why we can't make a mistake. Now, remember that this, at least the second or third mistake, his wife, Sarai, was mind-blowingly beautiful. Let me get, let me get, let me read you a poem that's out of the Talmud. 
and the Genesis Apocrypha. This is what the, the Talmud and the Genesis Apocrypha, which was found at the Dead Sea, part of the Dead Sea Scrolls, said of Sarah. How beautiful is Sarah, her long, fine, glossy hair, her shining eyes, her charming nose, the radiance of her face. How full her breast, how white her skin, how her arms, how, go how goodly, how delicate her hands, their soft palms and long, slender fingers, how lissom her legs, how plump her thighs, of all virgins and brides that beneath the canopy walk, none can compare with Sarai. The fairest woman underneath the sky, excellent in beauty, yet with all this she is sage and prudent and gracefully moves her, her hands or her body. Sarah is, the, is, the, is a picture of the bride, the way God sees the bride of Christ that walks in faith. And so anyway, when Sarah, and, and Sarah was Abraham's stepsister, it was Abraham's father, Terah, half-sister, excuse me. Abraham's father, Terah, had two wives, and one of them bore Abram, the other bore Sarah. So because of this beauty, um, and, and knowing the reputation of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they would have killed Abraham, he thought, and stolen his wife. But rather, he said to say he's his sister, and he effectively sold Sarah to Pharaoh. Now, part of the payment that Sarah got for this deal was the most beautiful, the most efficient, the best in, Sarah, in, in Pharaoh's arena no it's not a concubine it was his it was Pharaoh's daughter by a concubine and this is who this Hagar was and so we got two stars here parent stars Sarah and Hagar Abraham the promise was made that through his loins would this great promise come forth First, okay, but then he goes down to Egypt, and the first thing he does, he says, that's not my wife. Well, it's the same thing you do. Every time you deny that you're part of the bride, you effectively sell the bride. Anyway, let's, go, let's see what happens. She was the actual property of Sarah and given to her by Pharaoh during a sojourn in Egypt. And now any offspring she might bear would be reckoned as, as Sarah herself under the existing custom. But God said that existing custom wasn't enough. Now the word Hagar means flight in Egyptian. It means one who is in flight. In verse 2, Sarah said unto Abraham, Behold, or Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Huh? Well, he didn't argue a lot. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, then on that one, it went, you know, she, he goes, do what you want with him. You know, he well, he, oh, they said Hagar is... But, but, but what Hagar is, Hagar is, is symbolic of the false religion. We'll see in a minute. I don't want, I don't want to go into that. And Sarah... Abraham's wife took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. 
And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that he had con she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Now, who was despised? Sarah was despised by Hagar, taunted. Right. Because now the promise by all visual, by all sensory perception, was it going to come through Hagar rather than Sarah, the lawful wife, the free woman, who's going to come through the bond woman, the slave. Had they forgotten... Had Abram forgotten what said that Noah must have taught him, which was what was said to Adam and Eve about the woman's seed? Well, or did they, or did they, maybe it was... He rationalized it. The, in fact, he rationalized it. He didn't argue about going into the tent. you got to get that in your mind. Abraham... Yeah, but he didn't argue about getting rid of her either. No. Well, he's a wimp. Okay, let's go now to... So, so you, you got the picture, right? And Sarah, in verse 2 again, Sarah said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. It's interesting to note that she perceived correctly that it was God that had restrained her from bearing children just as it's God that restrains you from a particular course of action. But Sarah, Sarah rightly saw that it was God restraining, but she took the wrong course of action, her own understanding, instead of waiting on God, instead of waiting on the promise. Now, the word obtain, in verse 2, it may be that I may obtain children by her. The word obtain is the Hebrew word bana, which means to build, which means, and, but, and that's the word that's always used of, of, a bride, of a building or edifying the bride. In other words, she's saying that by my own understanding, I may build the church or I may build the bride rather than waiting on God. So this is a continuance of the building up of the whore of Babylon or the false religion. This is Sarah figuring out something. Right. Now, and it says, and Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Now, hearkened is the word shama, where we, which, you know, when we, we study shema, which is to hear intelligently, to hear with understanding. Well, here, we, here again we have Abram shemad or hearkened to his wife instead of God, just like Adam did. Same word. Same word. She sure fails to remember fast, and one minute she thinks that the Lord's restraining her, and the next minute she's... Well, she thinks in her own understanding that the Lord is restraining her, therefore the promise is going to come through the, the other. She's rationalized it. The Lord was leading her to... The Lord was leading her, right. <laughs> Lord was leading her to let Abram get a little from Hagar. And he probably didn't conceive in the first time. I mean, you got to understand that. I mean, he had to go in there probably every night for a month or something. Now, this is this is Abram's. He's he's making a whole lot of mistakes with regard to the promise. Now, I mean, first of all, he first thought he first thought the promise was going to punched. Right. He first thought he he first thought the promise that God gave him. He rightly understood the promise, but he first thought it was going to come through Lot, which was his nephew, because he didn't have any kids. And that was a legal error. Then God caused that separation of Lot. Then he thought it was going to come through El Eliezer. Remember, his servant in Damascus. But God said, no, that's not going to happen. And then he thought, now it's going to come through the son of Hagar, which is Ishmael. But at least now he's getting closer. Now it's at least coming through his own loins instead of servants. You're getting warm. In other words, God is closing the circle. He's making the path narrower. He's finding out what doesn't work. Huh? Yeah. He's finding out what doesn't work. talking business. See, God, again, what the faith of Abraham. Again, let me remember, you always forget this. The scriptures continue to talk about the faith of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. All men are given three graces to fulfill God's function within them. That 
purpose is to see him. And if you see him, then you become Israel, she who sees God, Israel. The faith, all three of those graces of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are in every one of every man that's ever lived. Now this, the faith of Abraham is the faith of learning by experience. I don't want to do this anymore. This isn't the right way, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. The faith of Isaac is the faith of revelation, instantaneous. The faith of Jacob is the faith of fight, struggle, hold on until you die or perish. Now, all three of those graces are present in every one of you, but one of them is dominant. But you, this, the end result of that faith is that you would see God. But the trick is, you can't see God and live. God's a great tricker again. So the cross in that is revealed. If you see God, you die. And if Christ isn't resurrected in you, you're, you're of no value. That's what faith is. So after 30 or 40 or 50 times, we're taken and Abraham said, hey, I don't want to do this. <laughs> okay God it's interesting and we'll see it over and over and over as we go through the, the three year cycle how God uses barren women for the test now let's go to Isaiah 54 and we'll see it a little more clearly Isaiah 54 This is the one that I eventually had every word underlined. I can read it now. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Okay. Let's look, let's, let's, no, let's, let's look at what we studied the other night. Let's see if we can tie all this together. In Galatians 4. <clears throat> right. but can you see over and over and over again how you, you can't possibly understand the New Testament unless we first understand the Old Testament mm -hmm. you see why the church is in such poverty because they never study the Old Testament huh right it's dispensationalism half scriptures <clears throat> verse 19 my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice for I stand in doubt of you he wanted to be there so he could chew him out good tell me ye that you that desire to be under the law do you not hear the law for it is written that Abram, Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Hagar. Okay. Hagar was by the law i.e. the law meaning the way a thing works they tried it and tried it and tried it by sensory perception and Sarah continued to be barren so the law or quote unquote the way the thing works says okay now we're going to go do it with Hagar so that symbolizes Hagar symbolizes the law for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth to Jerusalem which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem which is above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou, barren that bearest not, break forth and cry thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. 
But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. The promise is Christ in you. The law is the way a thing works. The promise is, is that Christ will be formed in you. He is his own power. You don't have to sweat it. The law or Hagar or the bondwoman and her son are you trying to do it after your own understanding. The law or Hagar and, the, and Ishmael, the bondwoman and her son, are you being concerned with activity. Because if you're in bondage, you have to do work. If you're serving somebody, you're doing work. Amen. You sweat and you, oh God, I'm so tired and I can't do this anymore. If you're free, you're just free. Amen. You can't do work for anybody. Now, the son, we are not children of the bondwoman at this instant. Because we recognize that our life is Christ, the child of the promise. So we are now concerned from this moment on only with receptivity, no longer with activity. And in that process, it is a promise that every need you have will be met and every desire of your heart will be fulfilled with absolutely no effort on your part. That is the message of the gospel. Can you feel it? Now it doesn't matter how, and this is tested in every arena, you're always tempted to take, to become Return to bondage with what to do. How am I going to handle this? What am I going to do about this? Verse 5, back in Genesis 16. Well, it's in you got to get this picture. He went unto Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Huh. That's what happens with Christ. The moment you follow your own understanding, the moment you fall back into the law, and, you, and, and something takes place, some success, quote-unquote, occurs, then what happens is, is that by definition, you despise Christ. That's why, I mean, and, and, and it's, it's automatic. <clears throat> And this next one's funny. And Sarah, Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. So the Lord judged between me and thee. The injustice done to me is your fault. Now you correct it. That's right. Now you correct it. In, in the same way that when, when <laughs> it's Mrs. Moses, but it's also it's also Adam. Adam Adam says it's her fault. The woman you gave. Right, the woman you gave me did this. It's her fault. Verse 6, But Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, the maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. 
And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Now, what Sarah really wanted to do was sell Hagar. She wanted to get him out. She wanted to get her out of the picture. But the ancient law forbid to, you could not sell them. You could not sell a a, uh, a slave if the slave was with child. So Sarah's only course of action was to make Hagar's life difficult so that she'd run away. And this is the model of Christian faith. Sounds bad my family This is the model of faith. This man, this situation is what we are to look for to see what the perfect Christian is. <laughs> well, one thing about Abram, he wasn't totally stupid when he said, "Hey, it's your name. You do what you want." <laughs> oh, okay, let's look at uh, let's that's one quote unquote. You you understand? We've talked about this before. That in the ancient scriptures, they were in, including the New Testament, by the way, but all of it was in in, in little scrolls. There were there were little units of stuff. And 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 in some of the Bibles, it it shows this by by. Uh, well, I, I think well, I don't know if we have one here that does it, but but it, it shows it because it, the the first word of a, of that particular verse, that's a new parchment or scroll, is a, is a is a is a emblazoned. It's a big, you know, it's a it's a not capitalized, but um, what am I talking about? It's, it's heavy ink compared to the rest of them. So that's what the one, those six verses were a section of scripture. Now the Haftar are the prophets reading concerning that is Isaiah 64. Well, you know, that, that, just, that makes a lot of sense because that, those six verses I can see a father taking a bunch of people and sitting down by the fire or campsite or whatever and saying, I'm going to tell you a story. Right. You know, something occurs to me that, that this, that these, the story seems like it's something that a cyclical thing that you go through, you wake up and you go through it every day right. in your mind. And the, the, the whole disposition for you, you every day. You right. This right, because it's the allegory of what's taking place in you. That's what the whole this whole process, the whole thing is. Do you understand? There's an experiential feeling. It's as though you lived it yourself. Right. But I'm saying that the time, the, the absence of time, the, the compression of it, the, the absolute expansion of it, is is a timeless thing. Right. I and mean, it can be experienced in an instant and, or, and right. forever. Right. Yeah, that's good. Each day, so each day is, is the model of the whole. All of them. Right. Okay, Isaiah 64. Want to read it, Barbara? You don't, you don't want to read it. No, there's a stop that Bobby Bob is. No, here we go ahead. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest turn down that the mountains might flow down with thy presence. As when the melting fire burneth, the fire crosseth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things which we looked not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down with thy presence. For since the beginning of the world men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness, those that remember thee in thy ways. Behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned. In those is continuance, and we shall be saved. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon thy name, and stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us, and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, thou art our Father, we are the clay, and thou art potter, and we are, and we all are the work of thy hand. 
Be not wroth very sore, O Lord, neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, see, we beseech thee, we are all thy people. Thy holy cities are a wilderness, Zion is a wilderness, Jerusalem is a desolation. Our holy and our beautiful house, where our fathers praised thee, is burned up with fire, and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Wilt thou refrain thyself for these things, O Lord? Wilt thou hold thy peace and afflict us very sore? Okay, the reason that's the reading is because obviously Abraham at this point failed totally. Abraham, the model of faith, has been a total failure at every point. And he is beginning to understand this mystery. That sin isn't what he does. Sin is what he is. Sin isn't an act. It's, the, it's in the genetic makeup because you are continually under cause and effect. As long as you judge after sensory perception and make those judgments, then by definition, your iniquity is not yet full. The moment you see the vanity or futility of taking these courses of action by your own understanding, then faith can begin a process. Not faith to get something or to do something, but faith to see. Now, notice the, the, the transference. All, all through one through seven, it's just bad stuff. No. There is none that call upon thy name. There is none that stirreth himself up to take hold of thee. Thou hast hid thy face from us, and hast, count, and hast consumed us because of our iniquity. The word iniquity is the, is, is the Hebrew word which means it, it, it isn't an act. It's not something you do. It's the state of the thing that's doing it. The reason that God sees mankind as iniquity is because of the tree of the garden of good and evil. It has nothing to do, it's because they judge for themselves good and evil rather than living in that moment of dependence as a small child. Now that's the lesson that Abraham is finding out. He's, he's, he's slowly but surely, he's stopping, he's seeing the stupidity, the, the, the total futility of this course of action which is natural, i.e., well, I'm gonna, I've got this problem so I'm going to take this action. And that's why this other, in the New Testament it says, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man, that which God hath prepared for them that love him. What the hell does love mean? Now, what, does, what does it mean to love God? The only evidence that God has that you love him is this. It says, here, that thing in the New Testament is a translation of this verse. Eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into his heart, that which God has prepared for them that wait for him. Not waiting as the Gentile mind does, which is just waiting because you're lazy or waiting, but waiting expectantly with the surety that that which is hoped for will be revealed. And that's the lesson every... I mean, if... if We've, we've chronicled at least six major screw-ups of Abram. But yet he's the model of faith. And the only reason he is is because the only thing that he understood was honesty. He was only concerned with the search for truth. He could have cared less about religion. Because he was the most religious of all when he was in Babylon. His father was the high priest. He was the heir apparent. But somehow, he saw that religion in and of itself was a lie. And he was only concerned with that which did not denigrate with time. So he's going through this whole process to finally find what truth is. Truth is that which is changeless, that which does not denigrate. Which is waiting, which isn't what we think of as waiting. Right. It's knowing. That's why, see, faith, the, there's no such thing. You remember, I told you before that when I, when I was real little, I was five years old, in fact. 
in the Lutheran church, you start a thing called catechism, which many of you probably went through. And I had to go to these little, these little meeting things on Saturday morning, and I'd ask all these questions. And the pre it drove this priest wild, and he told he had a meeting with my parents, and they said I was an evil child. <coughs> And I couldn't go there anymore because I was disrupting. Well, my mother just hit the ceiling. I saw. I mean, I never went. To, I never darkened the church door again until I was 33 years old. No, I still never darkened it again. <laughs> what? Just kidding. Because all I did was ask questions. And the reason that question asking is vital is because with there's no such thing as blind faith. Faith and knowledge are the same word. It's synonymous. But not knowledge of this garbage that we call the world, but knowledge of purpose, knowledge of why you're here, a certainty that's not disturbed by any, any impulse or anything that comes against you. And that's the lesson of Abraham. All he was was honest. And that's why I've said to you, your only job before God is to be you. You have to try to be anything. That's the dumbest thing you can ever be. There's something here about you, you're first. She's first. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm at a vision and I was looking back here. Um, you know, he screwed up a lot and everything. Maybe he was our model of faith after he became Abraham. Right. Well, why did they? Why does? Why does God change his name and everything? Well, because that's why God changes our name. I mean, the religion runs around and says, praise God, and they write all these great songs. My name is written in the book of life. That's not what it says. It says there's a new name that no flesh will glory in his presence. Your new name, the, the, the only new name, is the bride of Christ. When you no longer see God as a god among many gods, which you just ascribe his name to all your little idolatry, when you see him as your husband, then you have the new name. Why do you think in the law, in the Jewish law, the woman changed her name when she got married? And it's been adopted in most Western cultures. It's because of that fact. When the marriage was consummated, when the marriage was complete after the engagement, but in Jewish law, the engagement, you were under all of the law of the marriage. And at the point that, for, in the engagement process, but you still retained your own name. At the point of the actual ceremony, when the cups were broken in symbolism, then the bride's name became that of the husband. That's why in you, as we go through this, when we're in confusion and we're wondering who we are, then we still retain the old name. But the moment you know that who you are, then there's a new name. I've been really stupid. Amen. <laughs> what I need to say is, let me change that. I think you said it right. No, I just, for a while there, I was out of control, but I knew it. Now I'm out of control. I, I just don't, I don't feel like there's anything that I have any control over at all. You know, I, I bang my head, and but no control. <coughs> what am I gonna do? <laughs> 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 I can't, I can't, I can't. <laughs> No. Who would that have been? No, I'm serious. I just... Well, I just don't feel like I'm serious. I just, you know, expend time and energy and everything to gain nothing. That's why it says, what slowly has happened to you, and what slowly happened to all of us, is we've slowly but surely lost our confidence in things. Well, I mean, if you consider how old you are, it's been a slow process. Right, that's, that's, 
Okay, that's what, when, 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 the, when, when, when it says you cannot serve God and mammon, the word mammon is a Chaldean word that means having confidence in. You cannot serve God and have confidence in, 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 in world stuff. And how to's all every how to put you mean, I mean every I, everybody wants a how to the only thing that you, the only every how to put every how to thing in the world only teaches you how to be a better whore I mean you, you understand the difference between the the bond woman and the free woman the free isn't connected with how to the bondage is always connected to how to. Yeah, and then when you when you fornicate, when you try to uh, use real knowledge to, you know, affect something, it doesn't work. It just it it it's worse. It makes it worse. That's because God. That's the evidence of God's presence. <laughs> Religion teaches you that the evidence of God's presence is to be blessed, is to have everything go your way. The scriptures declare the evidence of God's presence, at least at this point, is when you've lost confidence in everything save one. When you've stopped acting. Abram never acted. Did you notice that? He just got tired. Of, he, he just said, I don't want to do this anymore. So he left. I, mean, I don't want to do this anymore either. So he quit doing that. So he went with Hagar. And he, he went with the slave in the tent because Sarah told him. To. <laughs> I don't like this anymore. I mean, the, that's all you have to do. And in that honesty, if you're doing something you don't want to do, you're a whore. If you're doing anything other than with the motivation of love, you're a whore. And we said so many times, prostitution isn't just the world's oldest profession, it's the world's only profession. Because you sell your services to the highest bidder. And you you put on a, you you act you put on a face you put on a, a a persona to accomplish that end that's exactly what a horror is never to get paid for what you give what well, god says you're not only a he says you're not only a horror you're a dumb whore because you you pay, other people. You pay the people That's the genius. Right. And God says, look, I mean, he didn't say, he didn't say, look at this forest. He said, he said, look at that tree under which you've committed adultery. He said, look at this forest and tell me which tree you haven't committed adultery under. And adultery means, in the, and again, I'll say it, in the spirit, it's where you go for sustenance. Where you go for identity. If you don't believe me, read the book of Hosea. I mean, being a whore gets tiring. I don't want to do that anymore. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man that which God hath prepared for them that wait. That's enough, I quit. Uh, I want to get back to this. Abram. Abram heard what God said to him. Abram believed God. So he knew that God was telling him the truth. He didn't believe him. And he knew the truth was that which doesn't denigrate with time. Right. And also we know that what you just said about that which is prepared for those who wait on him. Now the promise is given to Abram without condition. He receives the promise. Therefore, 
there's, there's something going on here that isn't apparent. Abram is waiting on God, even though we've seen him screw up six times and it doesn't appear that he's waiting on him. That's right. Remember, I mean, Abram and faith sees the faith sees something totally different than sensory perception sees. Faith looks and sees only the Garden of Eden. Sees only the New Jerusalem. Sees only perfection. Never sees lack. Sees only the power. Natural looks sees a bunch of screwed up people. But faith looks and sees the people and sees jewels. Believe it or not, when you look at me, you're supposed to see a jewel. No, no, that's not my job. <laughs> well, isn't the truth that I do look at you and see a Jew? Faith says that, yeah. Even if it doesn't appear. She's a real Jew. She's a jewel. <laughs> Diamond in the rough. Okay, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> <laughs> so, so through all of this, Abram is waiting. Well, remember what I said. You can do nothing against the truth. You can't make a mistake. You're free. The mystery of God, which has been hid from all generations, is revealed in you. That's the fullness of Christ in you. You're no longer concerned with activity. You're not concerned with what you're going to do. You're concerned with receptivity, who you contain. And all men contain him. This thing is evangelism in that context. It's simply revealing the vanity of their own mind, and they know it. I don't know. I'm not simply worried. 